While lots of our episodes appeal to gappers and parents and educators alike, this one's a little different. We were asked to provide our thoughts on how will we teach in a post-pandemic Canada, uh, a wonderful initiative through Voice Ed Radio, and we wanted to make sure that we could step up and share a little bit of thought leadership in this space and really connect how what we've seen with the gap year community can connect to education. So here are my thoughts on the question, how will we teach in a post-pandemic Canada? Welcome to the Gap Year Podcast, where we explore the who, what, where, when, and why of gap years. It's real people sharing their stories, ideas, and experts diving deep into how you can make the right decisions in order to have a meaningful gap year. This is the place to be no matter where you are on your gap year journey. I'm Michelle Dittmer, your resident gap year expert. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Gap Year Podcast. My name is Michelle Dittmer and I am your host and Gap Year expert. Today, I am so thrilled to be responding to uh, an inquiry from Voice Ed Radio and covering a topic that is near and dear to my heart. As I have watched things unfold with this pandemic, as I have worked with individual youth and seeing the path that they've been on, Voice Ed asked podcasters out there to respond to the question, how will we teach in a post-pandemic Canada? And I think it's such a valuable topic to be chatting about. And I'm always interested in the world of education and sharing some of my views. So as a former teacher, uh, somebody who is highly connected to students and what is happening in the secondary and post-secondary spaces, I am going to be weighing in on this question based on what I have observed and where my hopes lie for the future. So I want to start off by really talking about the experiential learning cycle, because that's what we do on a gap year. That's what I'm passionate about. And that's where we really have that profound learning. So I'm going to practice what I preach and we'll we'll talk about the uh, what, so what, now what framework. So really, we got to start with the what. So what did we learn? Um, then we move into the so what. Well, what did that mean? And then the now what? What are we going to do about it. So let's start with the what. Uh, So let's start with things that I have noticed, things that we've learned because of this pandemic. Um, So there there are kind of five different things that that really kind of came up for me when I reflected back on the things that I've noticed. The first thing is one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that surprises and uncertainty in un- inevitably as humans leads to stress and disorganization and a heightened need for tools and communication and We've really seen that come to light over the course of this pandemic is that this uncertainty has put stress upon everyone um, who has experienced this pandemic. So globally, 
that that idea of surprise and uncertainty is leading to a heightened sense of stress. So that's the first thing that I've learned. The second thing that I've observed is that different learners are really needing different modalities of learning. And it was so fascinating to watch and to listen to how different kids adapted to the move to online learning. So some of them totally rocked it. They maybe even got higher or they performed at a higher level when they were brought into the online space, while others just completely tanked and they were they were taken out of that. So this is not new. This is something that we have seen for forever, but it was just really reinforced that when we put students in different opportunities, in different learning scenarios with different tools and resources, we see some flourish and we see others be challenged by that. So it was a really good reminder of that for me that we need to make sure that we're meeting these students in ways that allow us to provide them an environment and a learning experience that is going to help them do their very best. So that was the second thing. The third thing that I noticed is that collaboration is going to win every single time. It was amazing to watch the conversations online uh, from the educator perspective, from the parental perspective, and then speaking to students as well. It was really an opportunity to see when success happened. It was often a conjunction of really great communication between educators, students, and parents. It was a collaboration between educators and technology and industry leaders that brought it together. It was the ability of industry to be able to pivot and shift their offerings to become virtual experiences. So it was really this idea that collaboration is what got us through that and and fundamentally part of who we are as humans. So that was another takeaway for me. Uh, also, the emerging adults were, in, in my opinion, one of the most vulnerable in this whole situation. So we look back at the grade 11 and 12 students, uh, those first year university students, people who were really trying to make any sort of transition, really. Um, and that transition from adolescence into adulthood is one of the most challenging ones. And it, in the time where there's no pandemic, and once we throw the pandemic in there, and we see fewer jobs available. We see um, universities and colleges taking their programs online. We see that students feel less prepared for their next steps. All of these things came out. And so those emerging adults are, are always going to be the most one of the most vulnerable populations because they're going through that transition. And it was a really great reminder to me that adolescence is not a mini adult. Adolescence is its own beast. It's its own um, developmental stage that needs a lot of support for them to launch into a successful um, adulthood. And so it was just really, really important for me to keep tabs on what's happening in that transition. And it was a very, very tumultuous time for young uh, emerging adults. 
Uh, and the final takeaway is that old habits are really, really hard to break. Uh, the, this pandemic provided such an opportunity for innovation um, and changing and evolving and taking steps forward rather than making our new normal as much like as the old no as much like the old normal as we could possibly do. And in a lot of cases, I saw, well, how can we replace this thing that we had with the closest analog that we can do digitally? Um, and, and how can we do the same thing, but with masks on? So there was a real opportunity there to see that innovation and see that evolution. And I think in a lot of cases, we we missed the boat on that. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that we have a lot of movers and shakers and innovators that are continuing to push things up the ranks uh, and through all the systems so that we do see that evolution in the long run. So old habits are hard to break. Emerging adults are super vulnerable. Collaboration wins, uh, different learning styles, and the connection between uncertainty and stress were, were kind of the biggest takeaways. So that was the, that was the what uh, of things that I noticed. But now, now, so what? And and where are we going to take this? Where are we going to go with these observations? So if I think about my class of the future, I look at it and I really see the connection to entre- um, experiential learning, that that is really the core of what drives the learning. Uh, I see that it's cross-curricular. It is an opportunity to break down those walls and those silos and make what's happening in the formal learning a little bit more connected to what happens in informal learning or what happens outside of the classroom. So not necessarily separating all of our subjects, but bringing it into uh, a full circle and bringing it all cross-curricular. I also see that we're shifting in my ideal class to a skill and competency-based learning rather than a knowledge-based learning. And I know there's been lots of talk about this over the past decade and that ability to embrace the whole child uh, and the whole adolescent in, in what's going on for them. So not only the child themselves or the adolescent themselves, but also what's happening in their environment and what's happening with their relationships. So really taking that full student-centered approach. I also see my ideal classroom focusing on the individual's ability to maintain personal well-being as first and foremost, Uh, Secondly, in a state of curiosity, that's something that I really, really hope that education instills, and that each individual is using their gifts and talents to make things better for themselves and for others. So that would be really the ethos of where I would see my classroom and the state of education going. Now, I'm really fortunate that each and every day I create this space for students on their gap year. And I recognize that I'm not bound by the historic school system and education system, that I'm not bound by policies and procedures, but that I get to help all of these emerging adults fill in the gaps, uh, the pun intended, of course, uh, that they missed in their high school. Um, And that's both in these pandemic times, but also in non-pandemic times, taking that gap year 
here to um, make sure that these young people understand who they are, that they have time to figure out who they want to be, and they understand how they can get themselves there so that they are living uh, a life where they are able to take care of their own wellness, that they are using their gifts and talents to make a positive contribution in this world. And that is, um, I feel so fortunate to be able to do that on a daily basis and to support so many young people in that evolution and in that journey that happens when making that transition from adolescence into early adulthood. So as a former teacher and partner to students and the education system, um, here are a couple of my biggest takeaways from the pandemic and how I think it should maybe inform our teaching and learning moving forward. Now, if we go back to that idea of stress coming from an uncertainty, um, while we have an a, unusually high dose of this right now, uh, it really is not going to go away. And it will likely be greater than in pre-pandemic times. So I think we really need to be focusing our teaching and learning on how can we better learn to navigate change. That goes for ourselves as educators and also how do we equip students with that ability to navigate change. And from the gap year perspective, this is what gappers do best, is they make an attempt and then they pivot and they try again. And so we really have to learn how to teach that to our young people because that is an essential skill to be able to navigate change in the future and, and in our current world right now. So I think if I break it down and I think about what it means to navigate change, the first place we actually have to take one step back and we have to look at our relationship with failure and making sure that we're fostering a healthier relationship with failure, that the school systems in this situation are both the poison and the antidote. We're still very heavily relying on a system of grades centered around pass, which is good, and fail, which is bad, or 90, which is better than 80. Um, and, and so those those belief systems and those the way we place value on that really shapes the way that we see failure and the relationship that we have with it. And that's not something that comes with us after we leave the education system. Your boss doesn't tell you you are a 90s employee or you are a 70% employee. Um, that's not how it works. So I think we really need to shift the way that we are framing the grading system and the and the pass fail um, piece. So we know that each ed educator is really trying to help students achieve that pass. And often we approach that that question if they if they were unsuccessful with what did you do wrong. Whereas I suggest that we might want to look at that a little bit differently and reframe that question. So instead of saying, what did you do wrong? We really want to support the navigation of that failure and shift the question to why did you go wrong? So let me give you an example of, of the nuance between the what did you do wrong and the why did you go wrong? Um, so let me give you an example. Let's say you had a quiz on mitosis and you your student got a four out of 10. Clearly, we all know that's less than 50%. That's a failing grade. And we can approach it with what did you do wrong? 
And in this case, perhaps it was you didn't memorize the stages of mitosis. But if we shift the question to why did you go wrong, we might get a response saying that I actually don't care about mitosis and I don't see why it is relevant to me. So why would I bother learning this? And so instead of approaching it as an educator saying, well, memorize better next time, we realize that there is a disconnect between the content and what makes it relevant to that student. So this next steps are very different. So instead, you can be thinking as an educator, well, how can I connect this to something that's relevant to you? Maybe connect it to the fact that like burn victims, uh, skin cells regenerate by mitosis. And so if you want to be able to help burn victims, you have to help the skin grow by mitosis or something of the like. So whatever they're into, finding that connection can help them to see that it's not necessarily the four out of 10 that is the challenge. It's the fact that this content might be relevant to them in some way. So at CanGap uh, with Gappers, we use the framework of capture the learning um, when, we're, when we're working after some sort of experience that they've had. So we don't evaluate if the experience was a pass or a fail or good or bad, but rather we, we ask the question, well, like what came of it? So what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the world and how will these learnings inform your future experiences or your future decisions? And I think that that's a really great way to help the individual reflect, to understand what went well, what didn't go well, and how they are creating those connections of information and experience that's going to inform them and make them better able to do something in the future. Now, obviously, this is easier said than done. Uh, often curricular expectations are, are based around knowledge acquisition rather than that skill or competency development. And we know the difficulty when it comes to measuring skills and competencies and, and how objective and complex that can be. Um, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, so let's not go there. Let's circle back to this idea of navigating change. So, so many so many sentences ago, um, at navigating change and having a healthier relationship with failure is kind of where, where we left off. And that kind of parlays into my next idea here of really focusing on teaching outside of the box thinking um, when presented with a new problem. So if I can relate this to the gap year space, so many students default to going to university or college because the other options are a little bit abstract and uncertain um, and not as well worn of a pathway. And so doing something different is something that puts them out of their comfort zone. Um, thinking about taking a gap year is thinking outside of the box and it's finding novel solutions to novel problems. And this is this is something that I think we need to see to help cope with change because if we're faced with a new situation, we, if we've been flexing that muscle all along, we'll be better able to manage the change and to evolve from that change. 
So encouraging students to flex this creative thinking, this creative problem-solving muscle with real-world challenges will allow them to stray away from the predictable. It will give them the flexibility to see different possible futures when change arises, rather than trying to rush back to that homeostasis or rush back to that central uh, equilibrium that they came from and actually move them forward and cause them to evolve. Now I'm going to give out a little shout out here to JP and uh, Spark Path who have some incredible challenge cards um, and I'll link to them in the show notes. They do have a digital version Uh, which I haven't checked out yet, but it's on my list for this week. But they are incredible ways for people to explore different career pathways. And I think that the way that he's framed his challenge cards really is a way that we can look at education as a whole as well, not just career education. But so he has these cards that have all sorts of different questions on them. And they're, they're challenges that you might be interested in solving in your lifetime. So help people reach their potential, end extreme poverty, foster understanding and respect, create a new food, create new food and food systems, or build the school of the future. And I really love these because they are big challenges with no simple or right solution. And this allows students to think in a diverse Uh, in diverse patterns to tap into their unique lived experience, to tap into things that they have learned already, and to become curious about things that might be possible without giving them a multiple choice where one of the answers is true uh, or or giving them something where there is a correct answer, these open-ended questions allow them to flex that creative thinking muscle and to, to be really... Um, equipped to think differently. So let's take the example of create new food and new food systems. So there really is no right or wrong answer to that. And people could approach it from so many different ways. You could take a biology approach and and talk about how you're going to um, go back to using mitosis. You'll use mitosis to create um, uh, artificial meats uh, to save the planet. Maybe you want to approach it from a sustainability perspective and I don't know why I'm on the meat track, but you're going to um, look at um, in insect culture um, and seeing if we can get more more cricket protein into what we what we need to eat, a much more sustainable way of doing it. Maybe you're going to approach it from a business perspective. There was a, a huge shortage in... Um, in dairy products available inside homes around the world because um, the the food system, a lot of dairy farmers produce strictly for uh, industry, for the, for the restaurant industry, and they didn't have the means to shift those like 50 gallon bags of milk to the one gallon bags of milk. Um, and so, so that could be a way that they approach it. There are so many different ways that these young people can tap into the thought process. So They could tackle it from all those different angles. They could also look at it from a really micro level or a really macro level. 
So I think it's really interesting to to think about that outside of the box thinking and how can we bring that into our students and for sure it's going to take practice for educators to teach like this and it's definitely going to take time for students to be able to learn and think like this as well. Uh, When we think outside of the box change suddenly doesn't seem so daunting because we're not trying to get back to that equilibrium. Rather, we're flexing our creative muscles and we're moving through change rather than fighting against it, which I think is a really powerful place to be. And as we evolve post-pandemic, I think we're going to see a lot more change happening and, and that's not going away. That's not slowing down. So how do we embrace it? So when I speak with a gapper um, and, and start talking about what they're going to do on their gap year, initially they really struggle with finding opportunities or experiences for their gap year because they're looking at those inside the box solutions. They're looking for courses. They're looking for work. They're looking for things that are familiar to them. Uh, But as they start to exercise this out-of-the-box thinking, they become so much more creative in the types of experiences that they are seeking out. And their thought patterns become so much more expansive and so much more open to new ideas. And it's really beautiful to see all the amazing things that come up for gappers on their gap year. So I'd love to see a little bit more of that integrated into the formal systems and and not just happening outside of the, the classroom walls. Now, my last kind of point here is that we... We're not looking for a 360 degree approach. Uh, It's more than that. It really is like a 3D sphere approach. We're not just going in one plane right now. We need to really see this. And And we saw how when families and educators and students and industry all came together, how how some students were really well supported and held by that. And I think we need to really, um, really look at how do we create that 3D approach? How do we create that sphere that creates an environment that allows students to, um, to use all the parts of themselves? So if I had to create a a recipe for a 17-year-old, uh, they, they have their physical self. They've got their their biology and, and who they are physically. And that's part of who they are. But they've also got um, their hormones, of course, because they're teenagers. They have a value system that's unique to them. They have particular strengths and tendencies. They have a particular family situation. They have a particular cultural, religious background, uh, a socioeconomic situation that's unique to them. Uh, They are also strongly influenced by their peer groups and uh, also the caring adults or lack thereof in their lives. So that's, that's kind of what makes up a person. And when we look at how many of these things are we tackling or how many of these things are we tapping into in education, um, I would love you to question yourselves in the development of the work that you're doing is how can we incorporate more of these pieces into uh, the structures that exist? So 
Brain science is showing that, or has shown for quite a while, how the adolescent brain is wired differently than a child brain and a, a grown-up brain. And they're wired so much for innovation and creative thinking. And uh, Ilona Doherty of the Youth and Innovation Project at the University of Waterloo is a huge, huge, huge uh, proponent of this and does some incredible work. So if you're interested in um, how young people are wired for innovation, definitely check out her work. Again, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but they're, they're wired for innovation. They're wired for risk-taking, which means that they have a heightened ability to think differently and come up with solutions to problems that adult brains are too scared to even imagine because we don't have that same thrill-seeking, risk-taking um, tendency. They... 17-year-olds, adolescents are, are starting to grow in responsibility and starting to to move beyond that, that me, that self-centered stage into getting jobs and driving and voting and drinking and taking on a little bit more responsibility in that transition into adulthood. Um, and they're highly influenced by their peers. They, they really want to be accepted. They want to fit in uh, and they want to please others. And, and believe it or not, that includes teachers and, and adults and parents. Um, so we really need to evol involve all of these pieces of who they are into their development. And I'm choosing the word development right now over learning because at 17, in my opinion, it's not about teaching them necessarily how to integrate or how to code a card game or how to dribble a basketball even. Uh, it's about coaching them into knowing themselves. Um, but not only knowing themselves, but learning how to make sound decisions and to figure out what makes them curious. And we can do that by expanding on foundational numeracy and literacy skills, but we also need to incorporate their entire worlds, their family, their friends, their ideas for the future, their, their innovative ideas, the essence of who they are. Um, they're really starting to figure out who they're going to be as an adult. And to launch them successfully, we really need to make space for this transformation. We need to help them find their way forward, even in uncertain times. So now, I know I've been, been chatting with you for a while here, and all of these ideas are super idealistic and blue sky thinking. And when it comes to a formal education system with so many moving pieces and so many systems at play uh, and so many expectations while educators are dealing with their own burnout, um, I know a lot of this can sound a little bit out of touch. So I, although it's my ideal and I think it's where we need to take education and where we're going to, how we should be teaching post-pandemic, um, I want to leave you with some, some, some wishes for educators um, and some things to think about and questions to ask yourself. Uh, so here, here really are the questions that anybody working in the sphere of teaching, learning, education in any regard, I'd really like you to, to take a look at these questions when you're designing a new program or a new experience or writing a test or designing a textbook, um, rewriting the curriculum, 
building a physical school, whatever your role is, ask yourself the fo- these following questions uh, with regards to your work. So number one, how does this inspire students to come up with creative solutions? Question two, how will this coach students to remain curious? Number three, how does this encourage reflection and connection Uh, and connect, sorry, and connecting new content to personal values and current ways of knowing. But also, how does it push to new ways of thinking? And the last question, how will this incorporate a 360 degree and 3D sphere of the student's existence, including their relationships, their identity, and their environment? And I think if we start framing everything we do with these types of questions, we'll be able to move closer to uh, an education system that really helps students feel more equipped with the uncertainty and the change, but also gives them the space to be innovators, to be problem solvers, and to connect their own talents and interests and values with what the world needs right now. And the world needs these young people and everything that they're bringing to the table. And we as grownups need to help make space for that, make space for that transformation, make space for that realization, support in the reflection, and bring about all of those little puzzle pieces that are going to help set them on a path for success. So I'm always open to chatting with others about your views on education. So please don't hesitate to DM me. Get into my email. It's michelle at cangab.ca. I always love these conversations. So please keep them coming. And my friends, until next time, keep on adventuring.